Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, I don't know if you have noticed, but um, I've just kind of noticed lately a little bit in our culture that the concepts of sin and temptation have just kind of lost their impact. You know, they're, they're just not concepts that you hear much about. In fact, typically about the only time you hear the word sin or temptation is somebody's ad for a dessert. You know, have you noticed that? And it's just like, it's just, it's just one of those concepts we don't deal with much. Uh, and we certainly don't want it. In fact, it's all actually become something good. You know, it's sinfully delicious. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing now. Um, and the same thing with, with um, apologies. Have you noticed um, people don't seem to really apologize? They apologize without apologizing. They say things like, well, if anyone was offended by anything that I did, I'm sorry for that. Like, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for being offended by something that I did or said, you know? Or, or just this unwillingness to take responsibility for the bad things that we do, the hurts that we inflict. Um, two sociologists by the name of, of Carol Tarvis and um, Elliot Aronson wrote a book. And the title of the book is this. It's Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. <laughs> and it's all about our ability to justify our, our foolish beliefs, our bad decisions, and the, the pain that we inflict on other people. We just, we don't talk much about it. We don't want to face up to it very much. But it's still something very, very real. And it's at work in every one of our lives. In fact, I was, I was actually kind of taken aback when Pastor Larry at the beginning of the service talked about Something that we all can agree on. We all struggle with sin and temptation and how enthusiastic everybody was in response to that. We all know it's a reality in our lives. And we're going to be back in the story again this morning. Last week, this two weeks, we've been, we're looking at King David. And the first week, last week, we talked about his greatest success, David and Goliath, and, and his great faith in God and his confidence uh, in God's strength and God's provision. And, and actually how God said of him that he is a man after my own heart. And, and what does that look like? What is it that God looks for in our hearts? And, and it's an incredible story and, and a great, great example of faith. And yet today we're going to take probably his worst failure. In fact, people who don't know anything about the Bible seem to know about these two things about King David. David and Goliath, and David and Bathsheba. Yeah, everybody knows, know nothing about the Bible, but I know those two stories. His greatest achievement and his greatest failure. And it's a hard story we're going to be looking at this morning. There's some hard lessons there um, that he learned the hard way, and some that we can learn maybe not going through that. So if you want to take your Bibles, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, if you brought your copy of the story with you, it's page 161 in your book. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1, 2 Samuel 11, 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole army, Israel army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening... David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. And then when she went back home, the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. 
So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to the house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why don't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Skip down verse 14. So in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. It's a tragic story. It's a hard story. Some really, really hard lessons it has to do with temptation and sin. And what I want to do this morning is, is kind of look at the two aspects of that. I want to take the first half and just talk about temptation a little bit. And then the second, I want to talk about sin. What do you do when you fail? But I want to start with this whole idea of temptation. And there's some things I think that if David had put some of these things in place, could have saved himself a lot of grief and a lot of trouble. And, and it's some real classic things that you can do to help deal with the problems of temptation in your life. And the first one is simply this. Be aware of your own vulnerability. It's really that simple. Be aware of your own vulnerability. You know, we see things happen in other people. We see other people make bad decisions or, or see failures in other people. And we say, how could they be so dumb? Why would they do such a thing? You see a political uh, uh, figure uh, high up in government and, and, and get caught in a bribery scheme, peddling influence, and, 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 he, and he sacrifices everything and loses everything because he had all that power. He had that place of authority, and why would he, do, why would he risk all of that? It doesn't make sense. Or, or, or a popular singer, teen idol, and, and popular, has a call, the whole world in front of her, and, and Incredible career up front and get stuck and hooked on drugs and just destroy and make a shambles of their life. And you say, why would they do that? They have everything going for them. Why put it all at risk? Why would they be so dumb? Or an athlete setting a home run record who, who can hit home runs without the need for it, but takes, well, supposedly took steroids. And you ask, and you say, why would you do that? Have that asterisk after your name now in the record books. Why would you do that? You could do this in your own strength. You didn't need to do that. Why would you do it? And we ask ourselves that question over again. How could somebody be so dumb? And the, the second part of that sentence, by the way, is what we never say out loud, is what we think to ourselves: is, I would never be that stupid. The truth of the matter is, given the right set of circumstances, any one of us is susceptible and vulnerable to any sin. Don't kid yourself. Years ago, I was at a pastor's conference. One of the speakers um, 
Christian author, well-known Christian author. She was just an incredible person. And, and she told the story. That the conference is actually a pastor's personal life conference. And just having all of your aspects of your life in order. And she told the story of speaking at a conference. And then there were a lot of other speakers there. It was a Christian conference. And um, after the conference, she and one other of the presenters went out for coffee after the end of the evening. And while they were there over coffee, he actually propositioned her. And she was shocked. And just, just like out of left field. And she thought, that, wow, where'd that come from? And then it dawned on her. It dawned on her that away from my family, away from anybody who knows me, I could do that. And no one would ever know. And she said, it hit me at that moment, given the right set of circumstances, any one of us is vulnerable to any sin. And if you don't think that's true, you're just fooling yourself. If it can happen to a man of whom God said, this is a man after my own heart. If it can happen to him, it can happen to any one of us. And we're fooling ourselves if we don't realize that. We have got to be aware of our own vulnerability and keep that in our minds at all times. And there's a lot of different situations in which you can make yourself vulnerable. If you're going through... Uh, a particularly difficult time, and it's protracted just a long stretch of just not feeling good and just dealing with stuff, and, and there's, there's, there's always a temptation for a quick fix. I just want to feel good, even if for just a moment, and you're vulnerable in that. Or unrealized expectations. Just life hasn't turned out the way. Your marriage hadn't turned out the way. Whatever it is hasn't turned out. Your, your situation hasn't turned out the way you thought it would, the way you hoped it would. And in that moment, when you start thinking that, you are, you are vulnerable. And you need to know that. You need to be aware of that. Every one of us. And there's another area of vulnerability that I don't think we think about so much. But if everything's going good, and everything's rolling along, and everything's successful, you are vulnerable. That's what happened with David. Notice this. It said, in the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites, besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. I don't need to go out there. Everything's going good. The kingdom's established. Everything's going. The war's going well. They don't need me out there. And I think bottom line is he just got lazy. Because everything's successful. It's all rolling. I can just coast now. Trust me, when everything's going good, you are still vulnerable because when everything's going good that feeling of personal success gives you a sense of invincibility and that feeling of personal success makes you a little less dependent and aware of your dependence on God and what the apostle Paul wrote centuries later that applies to David's situation, applied to the situation that Paul was addressing, and applies to us today. He said, if you think you are standing strong, be careful. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You are not the exception. You are no different. Every one of us is vulnerable, given the right set of circumstances. So just recognize your own vulnerability. Then the second thing you can do is avoid improper situations. Don't put yourself in places where you know you're vulnerable. 
if, if you struggle with alcoholism, the last place you need to be hanging out is the bar. <laughs> yeah, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Don't put yourself in those dangerous situations. Whatever your struggle is, whatever your area of vulnerability is, and, and it, it's going to be different for every one of us, but whatever it is, don't put yourself in dangerous situations. Our daughter, when she was one year old, uh, her birthday's at Christmas time. She was born a week before Christmas. When she was one year old, just learning to walk, the first Christmas, and, and we had the, the tree all set up, and she was just enthralled with the Christmas tree. It was beautiful. It had lights all over it and all these glittering ornaments and all this stuff. And she just, she wanted to touch the tree. She wanted to pull on the tree. She went, and we just kept telling her, don't touch the tree. Don't touch the tree. And all month long, the whole month of December, we're just pulling her back from the tree. And she just wants to be over by the tree. And she would get up and we'd just say, don't, Aaron, don't touch the tree. And she kept getting closer and closer. And she would do this. She would do this. She would go right up to the tree, right up to the ornament hanging on the tree. And she would do this. And just like within, I couldn't have been more than a millimeter from that ornament. You know, just as close as she could get. And then, and then she would do this. She would get really, really close to the ornament, and we'd say, "Don't touch it." And she would do this. She would. <laughs> How close can I get without actually touching? And then, then one night she did it. She did it. She got right up to the ornament, put her finger right up to it. Did that turn and look at us? And as she was turning, without realizing it, that finger moved, that one millimeter, and it touched the ornament. Ah, ah. <laughs> we laugh at that. And actually, the funny part is, her kids have done the exact same thing to her. It's just, isn't that cool? But here's the deal. We grow up, and we do the exact same thing. How close can I get without actually crossing the line? Because see, this stuff never happens overnight. Failures like this don't happen. Big failures like this don't happen overnight. They come over a period of time. I know enough and have dealt enough with people. Their deepest regrets were they just got too close to the line. And that's what happened with David. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful, which is Bible for she was hot. <laughs> and I can almost guarantee you, the Bible doesn't say it, but I could almost guarantee you that was not the first midnight stroll on the roof that David ever took. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet on it. And even if it was, even if it was the very first time and it just happened by accident, right at that moment, he had a choice. I shouldn't be here. This isn't right. I got to get back inside. But he didn't. Finger gets a little bit closer to the ornament. David sent someone to find out about her. I mean, after all, she was very beautiful. And he keeps getting closer and closer to crossing that line. Sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the, da the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, she's taken, dude. <laughs> Hands off. And it's almost as if it's almost as if God is putting, you know that dialogue box that comes up on your screen on your computer and says, "Are you sure you want to do this?" you know? And you click yes or no. And it's almost like God is putting up that dialogue box, "Are you sure she is married? Are you sure you want to do this?" The problem was by the time it got to that place, 
David was not thinking with his mind. And he crossed the line. But, you know, there were a whole series of lines he was crossing all along the way. So here's what you do. You need to set guardrails. You know what guardrails are? Guardrails are the things that they put along the side of the highways and the roads to keep you from going off into the ditch. Guardrails are the things they put on bridges so you don't go over the edge and into the water. And do you notice where they set the guardrails? They don't put the guardrails down in the dangerous areas. They set the guardrails in the place of safety. So that if you hit the guardrail, you might do some damage, but the damage will not be near as much as if you'd actually gone over the cliff. And that's where you set the guardrails. See, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen just all at once. It happens a little at a time. And the thing is, you start wandering off the road, and if you don't have the guardrail to bump you back onto the right lane, if you don't get anything that tells you you're getting into dangerous territory, if you don't establish the guardrails ahead of time, you're going to get to the point where you're so close to the edge, you're not thinking right. you got to set guardrails for your life, in your finances, in your relationships, in whatever it might be. You set the guardrails in the safety zone so that even if you bumped up against the guardrail, you would feel guilty about hitting the guardrail so you don't go over the edge. And that's the deal. That's the deal. And that was the problem. David kept crossing these lines one at a time. And he went from this lane to this lane to this lane to the shoulder. And because he had no guardrail, he went over the edge. He committed adultery. And then he made it worse. Because here's what you do. Here's what happens when you fail. You mess up. Word comes back. I'm pregnant. And now he's got a problem. Okay, he already gave in to the temptation. He's already failed. Now what are you going to do? Maybe you find yourself there. Maybe, maybe, in fact, maybe this sermon this morning, maybe this sermon is your guardrail and it's saying, are you sure you want to do this? Maybe you've been entertaining some thoughts. Maybe you've been heading down the road. Maybe you've been getting over on the shoulder. Maybe this is that dialogue box that God has brought to you this morning saying, are you sure you want to do this? Because the things that you've been entertaining and considering are bringing you right up to the edge. What happens when you fall over? First thing you do, Confess your sin. That's not easy to do. But you got to come clean. You got to come honest with yourself and with God. Maybe, maybe with the people around you. See, every time a Christ follower sins, within that first 30 seconds after that sin, you make a decision about what you're going to do. And it basically comes down to two choices. You will either come clean or you'll cover it up. You'll either confess or you'll try to conceal. Those are basically the two options. And what David chooses is to cover it up. Bad decision. It's the wrong choice. He chooses to conceal. And what it does is it starts this domino effect. She's pregnant. I can't let anybody find out about this. So he sends to the front line, tells Joab, his general, Send Uriah back. 
give him some raw renar, send him back. Have him, so he comes, he brings him into the palace, he interviews him. How's the war going? How you doing? How's Joab doing? Great. Hey, I'll tell you what, as long as you're here, have a little R&R. Why don't you go on home, spend some time with your wife. You've been on the battlefield. It's been a long war. Go on home, have some good time with your wife. He doesn't do it. In fact, he's got more character at this point than David is showing. I, I can't do that. All, all of my fellow soldiers, they're out on the front line. They're sleeping in tents. <laughs> I, how, how, how can I, I, I just can't in good conscience. I just can't go home and do this. And so the next day, he actually brings him. He says, why didn't you do it? Why, why didn't you go home? Take it easy. You, you deserve a break today. Go, go, go. He even goes so far as he, he invites him to dinner. He gets him drunk, thinking maybe that'll loosen him up a little bit. Come on, Uriah, lighten up. Go on home. Spend some time with your wife. He doesn't do it. So David, in the morning, wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. He sent the guy's own death notice with him. And in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest and then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and he'll die. And they do. And he does. And now adultery has also been added with murder. And not just, I don't know if you noticed it, not just Uriah, but other men die. Completely innocent of anything. Had nothing to do with any of this. They also lose their lives. It's devastating. Devastating. God's not going to let him get away with it. So what he does, he sends the prophet Nathan. And by the way, if a prophet of God comes knocking at your door and wants to talk to you, that is not a good sign. <laughs> and Nathan comes to the palace and he tells a story to King David. He said, King, you need to know something's going on in your kingdom. There are these two landowners, these two farmers, and, and one of them's really, really wealthy. He has, he's got herds, he's got flocks, he's just, he is, he is, he's just doing great. But his next door neighbor, a fellow landowner, all he's got is this one little sheep. That's all he's got to his name. And this wealthy guy, he had friends come in from out of town. And instead of slaughtering one of his own herd to be able to feed him, he actually stole the one lamb of his neighbor, had that slaughtered, and used that to feed his friends from out of town. And it says, David was enraged. He burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Not, you're the man. <laughs> no. You're that man. David knows what he's talking about. He says, this is the God's word to you. You did it in secret. But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. You think you were clever. Think you were smart. Think you were powerful enough to get away with this. You think it was all going to stay covered up. What you did in secret is going to have public consequences. And by the way, private sin often does have public consequences. Whether you can tie it directly or not. You think it's, it's not hurting anybody. It's just me. No, it affects your relationships. It affects the people around you, whether you realize it or not. And what happens is, Uriah dies, David marries Bathsheba, 
But the son that she bears out of that dies at a young age as an infant. And then, and then another one of David's sons rapes his half-sister. And her brother, in retaliation, murders that half-brother. And then another one of his sons, Absalom, leads a revolt against David and causes a whole civil war. And he himself gets killed on the battlefield. Absalom does. And this cascading effect, this cascading consequences keep going on. And so much of it can be traced back to that, that big mistake that he made. And even more so to the cover-up. Because think about it. Think of the scandals that we have seen in our lifetimes, or at least in my lifetime. Most of the worst, the worst part of it, where they got the most trouble, was with the cover-up. Think of the whole Watergate thing. What, got, what, what cost President Nixon his presidency was not the, the break-in. It was the cover-up. What, 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 what almost cost Bill Clinton his presidency was the cover-up. If you think that you can deal with sin by sinning more, you're headed down the wrong road. The answer, the answer is confess your sin and then, and then run to grace. You say, There's this, this story is so horrible. It's so tragic. It is so bad. Is there any good news in all of this? And yes, there is. Because in God's redemptive story, there is always grace. And where you need to take your sin is to God's grace. Run to his grace. Excusing, denying Justifying will never adequately deal with your sin. The only safe place to take your failures is to the grace of God, because only God's grace can heal. And the thing about David that differentiates him from Saul, who made a bunch of his own mistakes, but Saul never came clean. Saul always excused it. Saul always justified himself. David comes clean, and he says to Nathan, I have sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. And I want you to know, this was not just a, oh, wow, I'm sorry I got caught kind of confession. We know that because we actually have from David's own writing the psalm that he wrote because of this, this affair. It's found in Psalm 51. And I want you to just listen. It's part of it's written out there on your outline. We don't have room for the whole thing, but I just want you to just, just listen to it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a portion of it. Because I want you to hear David's heart. And I think this is what's still, even in that huge failure and all that that did, why he still found the grace of God, because he was willing to own up to it. And he was willing to take his failures, the only place that was safe to take them. And this is the prayer for anyone who's sinned, anyone who's in need of grace. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Make me willing to obey you. See, that's not just a, oops, I got caught. Sorry about that. My bad. This is a heartfelt. I need more than forgiveness. I need a transformed heart. God, clean my heart. Renew my spirit. Change me. Because I need more than forgiveness. I need transformation. Give me a heart that will be obedient and steadfast to you. And the answer to that prayer is always the same. And it comes from the prophet Nathan. It's the answer, God's answer to anyone who asks, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Thank you.